0: Good morning, my name is Janet, if we haven't met. It was lovely to hear some long perspective, the bigger picture. Uh, We're going to read from John today, and right from the very beginning. John 1, you can read along with me if you're reading in the Pew Bibles. It's on page 860, otherwise it should be up behind me. John 1, 1 to 14. May the Lord bless this word to us.
1: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. It's amazing that we can sit here and um, think about that to preach, I have to compete over rain. I could pray that the rain might stop so you could hear me clearer, but I don't think we want that. It's a good sound, isn't it? Uh, It's also a sound of freshness and rejuvenation and almost new life. And that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. So it is uh, very good to be here, start of a new year, getting into a new book of the Bible and seeing something really fresh in a gospel, in the gospel of John himself. So how about I pray and then we'll uh, dig a bit deeper. Dear Father, we do thank you for this morning that we can be here. We thank you for the rain we're hearing. We thank you that when we uh, meet together, that you promise that you'll meet with us. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Amen. Why do you believe? I want to introduce you to a man named John. Now, John, was an ordinary sort of guy, he lived some 2,000 years ago. Something happened that changed his life, changed his life so radically that it impacted not just him, but many generations to follow. This guy's John, and he met a man named Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he uh, was so intrigued by his teaching and his calling, he was attracted to him, he followed him around for some three years. Now, as a follower of this man called Jesus, you would think that he would have seen some amazing things, heard Jesus say amazing things, that it would have been an amazing experience. But reality is, this Jesus guy that he had attached himself to was one of the most controversial, probably... I dare say, the most controversial personalities of his day and the most controversial personalities of history, this guy, Jesus. John was best friends with Jesus and that'll come out later in John's writing, how close John and Jesus were. But John was so convinced about Jesus' claims that he committed his life to it. Jesus claims that uh, he was God that he created everything, and that he was the way to have eternal life with God. Now, it's amazing claims. But John was so convinced, and as with the other disciples, that uh, as far as we know through our church history records, that all the other disciples were so committed to this belief that they even died for their belief that this Jesus was who he said he was. And even for John, carried out all his life teaching and proclaiming Jesus but Jesus wasn't a popular guy. He was on uh, the Roman officials' watch list, kind of like a potential terrorist. The religious leaders didn't like him. They wanted him dead, conspired to kill him, and eventually did kill him. Like, He's a controversial figure, this guy, Jesus. What would it take for you to believe something so much that's so controversial that you would commit your life to it, even if it meant committing your life to the point of death, or committing your days from now to your a natural death, proclaiming this message of what you believe about this person. This is what they've done. This belief is so amazing. Now, I know here at Southside, it's great that we can get together on a Sunday and we're all on uh, a particular life journey at different stages. And when we talk about what we believe or why we believe, I know there's some people here today that are still working out, why should I believe? I'm not sure about this Jesus. Why should I believe at all? Other people are thinking through, uh, what does it mean to believe? To believe like a belief that John has that would give his whole life to it. What does that look like? and there's other people here who've been uh, involved in church even call themselves Christians all their life and they're here talking about what does that mean for me to to grow in my belief, to have faith like what Johnny's talking about what does that look like? so when we talk about belief how do we know? how can we be certain? and how can we have this belief that we're so invested that we give our life over to it? This is the big question. John is so convinced that what he believes about Jesus is true. He writes this book, we call it a gospel, but it's kind of a letter that was circulated around to a whole bunch of churches in the day. Uh, but the reason he writes, he mentions it at the end, where he says, uh, so this is just uh, summarising his book, Back right at the end of John, chapter 20, verse 30. He says, Jesus performed many other signs, and in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have have life in his name. He says, I know these things because I was there, I saw it, and I want to share the good news with everybody else so they can believe what I can believe. They can see what I see so you can have life that I experience life. And so this is going to be our journey. Uh, over the next eight weeks or so, we're going to be just looking at the first four chapters of John. Uh, we're doing the rest over the next couple of years, just in bits and pieces. Uh, but for the next eight weeks, the first four chapters, and we're going to just see why does John believe? He wants to lay out the evidence. This is why I believe. This is why I'm so invested. This is why I've given my life to it. And we're going to be asking the question for each of us. Why do we believe? You know, if you ask the question, why do I believe? What would I say? Why would? It's a different question to what you believe. It's why you believe it. It's a good question, I think, that John lays out. This is why I believe, and he's going to show us the evidence. Uh, so this morning. Yeah, we're just looking at those first 14 verses. Uh, here's a tip for reading John. If you're going to uh, try and get a head start and read through as much of John as you can, it would be a good thing to do to get the feel of what he's getting at. But John, uh, he's a Greek, he's writing to a Greek audience. First century Roman Empire, there's a lot of Greeks around. Uh, So he engages with that Greek culture and he uses words in a different way. We might use words. So this morning we're looking at how John is describing Jesus. These first 14 verses are all about Jesus. But I'm not sure whether you notice, he never once mentioned Jesus' name. He uses words like, uh, Jesus is the word. We'll be looking at that. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the sun. He uh, uses these words of descriptive words. It's very uh, philosophical. What does he mean by that? And so we have to dig a bit deeper. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning as we try and understand who Jesus is. But just remember, he's his, his writing, he's using language, it's a bit uh, abstract. And we've got to think through the meaning behind a lot of the words he's using. So the first one we're going to look at is the word. Uh, what does he mean by that? Uh, if you want to know someone, or if you're introducing someone, you want them to be known quickly, there's three questions you normally ask somebody, isn't it? Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? You know, just give us, give us a snapshot of, of, of you. And John says, okay, let me introduce Jesus. We're going to be asking the same questions. So he says, you know, who is this guy? Verse one, he says, in the beginning was the word. He's the word. Kind of a you know, if you want to give, give somebody like a nickname or something, the word's a bit unusual to do that. Why would he call Jesus the word? Now, if you're thinking through uh, what does words do for us, you know, if we look reading a book and we're reading words, it's conveying information, it's conveying knowledge, it's conveying understanding that we get from words. And this is what John is saying. Because remember, he's writing to uh, Greeks, very philosophical. Uh, there's a number of guys who are... Uh, Run schools like Aristotle back in the day, uh, asking the big questions what is life about? What is the meaning of life? The purpose of life? Well, John's saying, actually, I've got the word. This guy is the one that can give you knowledge, he's the one who can give you understanding to those big questions of life. So, he's the word that can do that. John's saying, you need to meet this guy because he's got the answers where's he from well in the beginning was the word Uh, jesus was there before time before time even existed before anything created before uh, before the time of the greeks greeks thought they were such an impressive nation but before the greeks before the hebrews before humanity before anything that we see even existed jesus was there that's the place where he came from even before time existed he was there that's where he's from the, um, it's interesting that the other Gospels, in their genealogies, so two other Gospels have genealogy, Matthew uh, dates genealogy, uh, Jesus' family history back to Abraham, because that was important to the Jews. Luke dates Jesus' family history, in his genealogy, back to Adam and Eve. But yet John comes in and says, no, no, if we're going to be real about this, Jesus' genealogy goes before humanity, with God, was God. That's where he's from. So the last question, well, what do you do? Well, actually, you need to meet this Jesus guy because he he created everything. He's the creator of the whole universe. So if he was there before anything existed, before anything existed, there was just God. Well, Jesus must be God. And then if he is God, through God, he created the world. What you see is because of Jesus. It's a little bit like, we need to research this guy. Let's go, let's type up Google. Uh, who is this guy? Go up LinkedIn, surely LinkedIn's got some information about him. Uh, what's your name? What's your age? What's your occupation name? We have to look up word. If you look up Jesus, I'm not sure who you might get. But your LinkedIn uh, word, uh, what's your age? Well, pre-time, however you describe that. What's your occupation? I'm the creator of the universe big claim isn't it might have you know would you like to see a sample of my work and you click on that and you see a picture of outside your window yeah I did that your favorite holiday pics yep I made them your favorite people yep I made them too he made them all all through Jesus that this become possible so important was Jesus that John says in verse 4 but he's not only the creator of the universe, he's sustainer of the universe. He lets everything exist because of Jesus. Now, if John come here today, met you at church or even met you at morning tea, and says, look, I know this guy, I was really close friends with him, he was God, and he existed before time, and he made everything you see. What would you think? Now, you need to be talking to a doctor because that's just impossible. That claim is just way big, too big for us to understand. But we've got to understand that the, what John is, this is exactly what John is saying. Jesus is so big, we need to stop and think about it. This is who we're talking about, the creator of the universe. Was God with God? He was there. This is the man I'm talking about. Now, it's tempting for us to go, well, this guy John's writing from 2,000 years ago, you know, less in education that we might have, a bit primitive in their thinking. Maybe John's a bit gullible in just, uh, just taking on these claims. Maybe he does need to see a doctor that he's believing them because nobody should be that gullible, Right. But what he's saying is he's going to unpack this throughout his letter. These are the claims, these are the statements, this is what I believe and we're going to see why he believes it as the journey goes on. But you need to feel the weight of what he's saying. If your Jesus is just a name in a book, somebody's word you use used to when you pray, it's not big enough. It's a big Jesus that John is introducing here. This man who is God, he says, I was with him. And you need to meet him too. It's interesting to know, though, somebody like John sees Jesus and believe. But many other people saw Jesus and heard him speak, and they didn't believe. So why did some believe and some didn't? Well, John's going to explain how some people are just in the darkness about this. They're living in darkness. He goes on uh, when he talks about, John, uh, talks about Jesus, and he describes him as the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That Greek word overcome, because it's written in Greek, is a little bit of a tricky word. It's kind of, your Bible's translation might say, um, uh, the darkness has not understood it. Or I would say, we haven't got our head around it. If you're in darkness, you can't get your head around this this claim of Jesus and who he is. So we don't recognise it. We don't understand, get a grasp of it. But why does he say then that we're in darkness? Why can't we understand Jesus? You know, John saw him and understood. Why can't we, the, the humanity, see and believe? Now we need to do a bit of an excursion here because John in his opening verses is really playing a lot on the start of the story back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 in creation. Now in creation... So we're just going to get a few minutes just to see why we're in darkness and how that got set up. So uh, in the beginning was God. If you know the first verse of the Bible, it's like John saying in the beginning was the word. Uh, Make that link. There's a whole lot of fancy links here. In the beginning, there was darkness throughout the universe. The, The universe was empty, it says. But then God sent the light into the darkness there's a bit of a play on words, whether John's using that deliberately or not. When God created uh, the universe, how did he do it? He spoke and the words went out. Jesus, the word, their creation. A bit of a play there as well. But in this whole journey through this creation, gets, everything's made except for, for mankind. And he gets to um, God making Adam and Eve. And they, God says to himself, let us make man in our image. Uh, So he makes humanity special and different and unique from the rest of creation. So we're made in God's image. What does that mean? Do we look like God? Well, I don't think exactly uh, that. But we're made relational. We're made to know each other. We're made to engage with each other and draw near and share that love experience with each other. We are the only creatures in the universe that God has a loving relationship with. That's interesting. That God has this connection. And we see this played out. So God comes into the garden with Adam and Eve. He hangs out. They could see God at that point and talk to him through that point. Such was the intimacy, the relationship that God had with humanity at that time through Adam and Eve. It's an amazing time in the Garden of Eden. There's also this thing going on where God himself uh, is treating Adam and Eve like his own children... So in that culture, many cultures around the world even today, not so much in ours, uh, your children take over your trade as the father. So if I'm the father, uh, the children take over the family business. And so what is God doing there? He's ruling over all of creation, but then he gets to the point, he talks to Adam and Eve, and he says, I want you to be ruling over creation, I'm giving you the authority you're going to take over the family business. So they start naming the animals and start ruling over creation that way. So there's this real father-son, father-child relationship, very tight relationship. So you can imagine what would happen then in that relationship, tight relationship, that when uh, Adam and Eve were confronted with this opportunity, presented by uh, Satan himself, saying, "You aren't you getting tired of being under God when you can be God yourself? you can be God, just eat from this tree, the tree that God said not to eat from. So it wasn't just the fruit that um, like, was the sin, it was their desire to know, why would I submit unto God when I can be God myself? I'm going to break this relationship and go hard, I'm going to take the fruit. So you can imagine what that would do with the relationship between God and humanity. So that single day and that single action changed world history after that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden Uh, they were cut off from God they could no longer walk with God talk with God or see God that relationship was gone they're in what we might call a spiritual darkness they're gone they don't have that access to God anymore it's a broken relationship and through this thing we call sin this, this act of rebellion has put them in this spiritual darkness And through that one moment in history, humanity has trouble now seeing God clearly. Because there's a distance there, a darkness there, that we have trouble seeing and understanding God. Now, John's saying there's good news and bad news. Uh, If we go down to verse 9, there's a few verses about John the Baptist we're going to hit next week. But if we go down to verse 9 where he picks up this, this true light thing... He says the good news is the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is coming. That's good news. God is coming to us to shine that light so we can see him clearly again. He's coming into the world. But is the bad news. Verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to which was what was his own, but his own did not receive him. The sin has put us in such a dark place that even when God turns up, we don't even recognise him. That's the state of humanity, our separation from God. It was interesting, uh, just this last Australia Day, seeing who become our Australians of the Year, those men who went into the dark cave to rescue the the boys in Thailand, the soccer team that was trapped in the cave. And it's an interesting journey when you hear the story from the boys about what they experienced. So these boys, um, yeah, doing a bit of cave exploring as a team, water comes in, washes them four kilometres from the entrance of the cave, four kilometres from safety, four kilometres from light. And you could imagine what it was like for them. They were in there for almost two weeks before they had any hope of being rescued. Now, to imagine what that must feel like, I've even got a picture of what the boys, what was for the boys. Actually, you might have to hit the lights to see this, if that's all right, just to know that they're in pitch darkness four kilometres from the source of light. Now, under there, they were wet. They were cold because they didn't have any heat. They had to huddle together. They were hungry. They had no food for almost two weeks. And they were losing hope. They had no light in complete darkness of anything that was going on. Now, you can imagine in that time of desperation, time of uncertainty, time of thinking, well, this is it, boys, uh, and time of just no hope, what it must have been like when that moment came some 12 days since they've been in, but I couldn't tell it was 12 days, I didn't see the sun, but that glowing light in the water as a torchlight shone from the rescuers. Can you imagine what it must have felt like? You're cold, you're hungry, you think it's all lost... It's going on for days after days but that glow in the water's coming and the glow in the water's getting brighter and brighter and as as the light shines uh, you see your rescuer it's not just about the light when you see the light you realize there's a rescuer and all of a sudden you'll have life everything's going to be okay he's going to bring life to us through the Rescuer. They see that as the light shines in the darkness. They see him and rescue him and their joys, particularly to those two Aussie men who came and brought them back out, was enormous. That's what Jesus does for us. That in our darkness, we mightn't realise it, but we're facing death. We're in spiritual poverty. We are so far from God. But yet Jesus as the light, comes and he gets brighter and brighter and brighter and God says, I'm here. I'm here as your rescuer. Yeah, we can flick them all on now if you like, thanks. But we're he- I'm here as your rescuer. When Jesus comes, this is the light. This is understanding. This is life, true life, that we're going to be okay. That's what Jesus done has done in the world by coming as the light. You can imagine how ridiculous it would be then that as these boys, uh, they're huddled up, they're cold and wet, the light comes and shines on them, they're so desperate to escape that when the light comes up, that they don't recognise their rescuer. They see the light, they see the person behind and says, hang on a minute, I'm not sure whether I can trust you, I'm not sure where you're from, actually I think we're better off here in the darkness, I think you should go. Because that's what humanity did to Jesus. We don't recognise you. We don't want you. In fact, I think we're better off without you. So when our rescuer God comes to us, instead of greeting him with hugs and kisses, they greeted him by killing him on the cross. We're better off without you. We don't want you. We don't recognise you. John is saying this is what's happened when Jesus has come into darkness. We've, We've pushed him away. um, This is what we've all done through Jesus in not recognise him. But John's saying, you need to know this guy. You need to know who he is and do recognise him because he is your rescuer and he will bring you life. That's who he is. Don't reject him, but receive him and find life. And this will change who you are. Because as he talks about uh, those who rejected Jesus, he does talk about those who receive him. And there he introduces this other term. So you've heard the word, the light. Now it's the sun. This is the sun. This is all about why I believe. But he says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You know that relationship we're talking about with God, with Adam and Eve in the garden that sounded so nice? This is what Jesus has come to restore. That we can be brought back into the family. That we are part of this relationship, this intimacy. Children of God. It's not It's not a word to use lightly. It's a privilege to be the ch- children of God. Now, To fill out this picture, what does it mean to be a child of God? Because there's this other thing going on that he explains a little bit more in verse 14 where he talks about there's God the Father and God the Son. Now we need to, at some point, we need to mention that T word, the Trinity. Uh, But this helps us understand who God is and how we relate to him. That there is a Father God. There is Jesus, the Son, who's equally God himself himself. There's uh, another person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, which we'll meet later in John. (coughs) Now, uh, through this, we can see this family relationship. There is a father, there is a son. This is how we get drawn into the relationship. But within this Trinity, it's helpful to see, well, the word Trinity doesn't exist in the Bible. But we get these snippets of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And how Jesus' the light affects that is, uh, for example, in the Old Testament... The, firm, the, the name Father, to call God Father, occurs something like 14 times. It's not a new idea to John. There's God the Father named as Father four, about 14 times. But then when we get to the Gospel of John, it's like Jesus has shone the light. He's the light. He's going to help us understand. The, the phrase Father comes up over 90 times. Okay, It's like... In the Old Testament, we're looking at shadows, a bit of a black and white picture. But when Jesus comes, the light that helps us see God clearly, we see the Father clearly, similar to the Spirit. The Spirit's there in the Old Testament, but only gets named every now and again. As soon as we get to John, John's a big fan of the Spirit. He's going to be Spirit everywhere later on in in the book of John. It's like we can see God clearer now. And that happens in the New Testament, living this side of Jesus. We understand God better. So... When John talks about this family relationship, now you're in the family that God the Father is the one that gives you the right to become children of God. It's like God the Father, he's the head of the household and he sees you outside in the dark. And as the head of the household, he can invite you inside, not just to share a meal, not just to enjoy some hospitality, but come inside and be a part of the family, be one of my children. And he says in verse uh, 13... That, um, that you're to be born into the family, not of the parent's choice or, or your choosing. It's God choosing you. So God's actually sending out the invitation. He's chosen you. Specifically, he sees you outside and reaches out to you and says, come inside. Not as a visitor. Don't just come and stay the night and go again. No, be part of the family. With all the full rights of his children... You take his name, just as he is Christ, we are Christians. We take his privileges and blessings as his, him as our father. We take the inheritance, so we will inherit the earth in a heavenly way, in eternity. The New Testament expands all those things, the privilege it is, to be adopted into this family that we should never take for granted. was a few years ago... I think we're going through the book of Galatians. It talks about a lot of adoption, what it means to be adopted into the family. Uh, And uh, I interviewed Dave Kirshable up the front here because Dave was adopted as a child. We're talking about what does it mean to be adopted into your family, into this family. And just fleshing that out was very insightful. But I remember one question I asked him in front of everybody. Um, I said to him, uh, because what happened, he, he was adopted, his parents uh, believed they wouldn't be able to have children, applied for adoption, went to a lot of trouble to pick him up at the hospital, uh, um, uh, not very old, to bring him home, got home, and then they naturally fell pregnant and gave birth to a daughter. Uh, exciting story, exciting news, encouragement for everybody. But I said, doesn't that make an interesting dynamic? You're adopted, she's naturally born. Do you think you like... Second best, because she's like their real child and you've been adopted. And David's answer floored me a little bit. He says, No, I think the exact opposite. They chose me. They had to go put their application forms, they had to do interviews, they had to prove certain things. They went to the hospital. They chose me. With my sister, they just got what they were given. <laughs> this is you know that happens with a baby, right? You just get what you're given. So I feel like I'm the special one. And I thought, that is an amazing picture of God's adoption to us. It's not that, hey, I want to be a Christian. I'm good enough to be a Christian. I deserve to be a Christian. I need to be in this family. It's God chooses you individually. Doesn't matter if you're good enough. Doesn't matter what you've done. He says, I want you to be in my family. And he invites us in. He brings it. The Father does that. He sends Jesus to reach out to us. But the Father's the one who wants us in the family. That's why he sent Jesus. Now, this idea of family, it's such a big theme in the New Testament, that we're in the family of God, we're children of God. But I think for many of us, it is a bit hard for us to relate to, what does that even look like? Because that's not my experience of family. In my experience of family, I feel like sometimes I'm the black sheep. Sometimes I feel like I don't belong. Sometimes I'm left out. Is that what it's like to be in God's family? It's not. This is God, the perfect Father with a perfect family. And we need to work at what does that really look like. Sometimes it's even hard for us to imagine calling God the Father. What does that really mean? Because for many of us, maybe our fathers have been very harsh with us when we think of our childhood memories. Maybe our fathers have been very distant. And when we talk about having a relationship with our father... That's just like East and West. What does a relationship with our Father look like? Now, in comparing it with our our sinful brokenness, it is a hard comparison to make. But we can see here that God is the perfect Father, with perfect love, and the one that is able to show that love and grace and compassion to reach out into the darkness to pull us in. That we know we're loved. We know that he does care for us. We know that he's interested in us to pour out his love on us like that, to invite us in. That's what our Father God is like. He wants us to know him. This is the whole message of Jesus. Why should we even listen to Jesus? Because God the Father wants us to know him. That's why he sent Jesus. God is not distant, but he's interested in you and he cares for you that he sends his son into the world as a light so we can all see him. John summarises all this in verse 14. Uh, This is like, if you ask John, why do you believe? This is like, let's pull this all together. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's significant. God who is out there before time, before existence, in the heavenly realms, has come into our world. Not in a spiritual way, but somebody tangible we can touch and feel and talk to. He's come into our world. We have seen his glory. This is God. This is what John is saying. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's like, there's a whole lot of details in that. But get the... Get what John said. This is why I believe. This is John's opening testimony. I met God, and I'm convinced of it 100%. Because I believe Him. Because I was there. I was with Him. He'd probably say, "I know this sounds ridiculous. I know this sounds bizarre to say I met somebody who claims to be God, but I actually believe it's true." In another letter, John's going to write uh, some other letters to churches in the New Testaments 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. No, there's three Johns, just three letters. But in those letters, in 1 John, the opening verses, 1 John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, he's he's just laying it out, I really am convinced this, I've heard him, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, that the life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it. Do you want to say, This is not a fairy tale. This is not some idea or philosophy. This is real because I experienced of it. I experienced Him. Jesus really did come in the flesh. He really did make all these claims. He really did prove His claims, which we'll see over the coming weeks. But He really did offer true life that we can trust in and believe in. See, if I ask you, why do you believe? Why do you believe? I reckon if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I believe there's something spiritual about this, you need to know it's much more than just being spiritual. If your answer is something like, why I believe is I think religion has some goodness in it and I want to look into that, this is much more than being religious. Or is it some sort of why I believe? I think there's some good ideology about afterlife and hope and certainty and promise and things like that. You need to know this is much more than some ideas. John is saying he was here, I talked to him, I touched, I hung out with him and I believe him. John is 100% confident with who Jesus is and what he's done. And John's writing this so we might have that same certainty have that same assurance why I believe Jesus was historically real and accurate and he proved that he is who he said he was and through believing in that that we are invited into the family we're invited into that closeness that intimacy with God and by believing in Jesus we can enjoy that we can have that it's just that we believe we trust put our trust in him Don't push him away. Don't be in the darkness and not recognise him, but recognise him as your Lord and Saviour. Let me pray. Dear Father, we just thank you again for this rain, that you're raining this good news upon us, that through Jesus we have life, that through Jesus... Uh, It fills us with confidence. It fills us with a purpose for life. We're not just moving in this world aimlessly, but you're always drawing us to you, drawing us to that intimacy, that relationship with you, our Father God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love and sacrifice for us. And thank you for the true life we can find in him. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.